in all my uh, desire to communicate about the Great Lakes Bible Institute course, I failed to give you the pertinent information. And that's typically what I do. I, uh, so the class is June 3rd to 8th. So it's that first part of June. And it'll run from 5.30 to 8.50. Uh, and if you need some registration uh, documents, you can either go on uh, glbionline.org uh, or there are some sheets on the back GLBI table if you're interested in getting a little bit more information about the class. So that's the important stuff you needed to know. Amen. Uh, so how many of you are familiar with Psalm 51? Yeah, I think that's uh, one that I frequented, uh, having sinned uh, and that opportunity to I have that heart of David and confession and repentance and uh, a wonderful psalm. Uh, this morning we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 52, which is a, a bit of a different psalm. We're going to go ahead and read that together, and then we'll pray, and then we'll share the comments that I believe God would have for us this morning. So Psalm 52. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour. Um, the Hebrew there can be translated confuse. O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear and will laugh at him saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look at our psalm here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the instruction of your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to freely open it this morning, to have our consciences dictated by its truths rather than being compelled uh, to not allow that or to not do that. Thank you that we have these freedoms in America. We cherish them. We thank you for those men and women who even now are on, in harm's way, uh, protecting us uh, from those who would love to destroy that liberty and freedom. So we thank you for them. Pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, the thoughts uh, from this passage of Scripture to our hearts and minds, and may the Holy Spirit grow us into the image of Jesus Christ as a result. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I think in saying this, I have full agreement in the audience, but that is this, that exposure to evil is unavoidable. We agree with that together as a, as a group. Um, whether it's the uh, recent attacks on Christians in Sri Lanka that remind us that we are never far removed from the touch of evil. Perhaps some of you have uh, gone to the movie event Unplanned, and you're reminded of the atrocities that are being committed against unborn babies daily uh, in our country. And on and on it goes. Such evil has always been with us. In Psalm 52, David assessed evil in his day. Just like we desire in our own day. Wondering why? How? 1 Samuel chapter 21 through 22 reports an unthinkable evil in his day. And it's... It's alluded to there in the heading of our psalm. Mine says that this is a masculine of David. We're not sure what the word masculine means. Um, but we know that David's the author. And it suggests the background. This, these are not inspired headings. But often are, 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 we can favorably look upon them. They have good tradition. Uh, but they, this is a masculine of David when Doeg, you may not be familiar with him... But he's one of the guys in children's ministries, when we say his name, all the kids say, boo, boo. He's a bad guy. Uh, he's like Haman. But when Doag, the Edomite, came and told Saul, and he sort of ratted out David as David was running for his life from Saul, uh, when nobody else would, he did. Uh, and he sort of ratted on David and said that David has come to the house of Abimelech. He sort of was spying that out. Uh, Abimelech, the high priest, and David received help from Abimelech that day. He was given some bread from the table of showbread, and he was also given the sword of Goliath. And as he was running from Saul, this was the only place David could find a little bit of help. And uh, Doag saw that, and when Saul came to Abimelech, uh, Doag ratted him out with some horrific consequences. What transpired is Saul ordering the massacre of 85 priests who wore the ephod there along with Abimelech. But it didn't stop there. It included those priests' wives and children. And the killing spree went on into the whole town of Nob. That was the town where Abimelech was, these priests. Men, women, children, cattle, donkeys, and sheep were all killed by Doeg senselessly. All for the unbridled, selfish advancement that Doeg sought in his heart. David imparts for us invaluable lessons as we come face to face with pure evil. And we're going to look at those this morning. And in this psalm, David sings about a truth. We never want to forget that these were penned for public worship services 
to be sung for the nation of Israel. And the truth that he sings is this, is man, not God, is the chargeable cause and author of evil in the world. Let me say that again. He sings and proclaims this truth that man, not God, is the chargeable cause and author of evil in the world. Now, for those of you good Bible people out there, uh, that doesn't mean that I don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. But it does mean that when it comes to the question of culpability, when it comes to the question of who is responsible for evil in this world, God is not. And man is. So to that end, first of all, David exposes the source of evil in verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4, we've read that already. David turns on its head the natural tendency for man to interrogate God for the allowance of evil in this world. Instead of interrogating God, David turns the table and he interrogates the true source of evil, mankind. And he cries out, why mankind? Why uh, mankind as represented in Doeg, the Edomite? Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? He asks that question. So the first truth that we come to as David exposes the source of evil here is that evil is the product of man in contrast to the product of God. And we see that Doeg, a mighty man, a man created in the image of God, as it were, he boasts in his evil deed. He uses it as an occasion for self-advancement. Literally, blood is spilt at the behest of selfish ambition. God, however, in contrast, in the second part of verse 1, in contrast, he is loyal in his loving kindness to people. And we learn from this passage that God's loving kindness endures all day long. As such, it is not tied to the actions and deeds of men. It is not tied to the circumstances in this world. Categorically, undeniably, God's loving kindness is loyal all the day long. Period. That is always true, regardless of what's going on. God's loving kindness is not a response. His love for mankind is not a bargain. No, it's a settled disposition to all of mankind. And folks, if you need one profound witness to that truth, it is the cross of Calvary. There at the cross, God settled the potential conundrum of what his disposition is toward all of mankind. 
And it's found in those beautiful, precious truths of John chapter 3, verse 16. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. And it's not dependent on anything in this universe. It's a settled disposition of God's desire for his highest of creations, mankind. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has not come for judgment, but to seek and to save the lost. That's his desire. Now we know from the rest of Scripture that a day will come when the cup of God's wrath will be poured out on all of mankind and the evil in this world. But that day has yet to come. So as we look at the tragic events of Doag, the Edomite, and the pure evil that's displayed there, and we think about the pure evil that's going on all around us, let us not interrogate the God of heaven. The cross has settled the question. The empty tomb triumphantly declares God's disposition to all of mankind in all of time. Let's interrogate mankind and help him or her to understand their evil, wicked hearts before a holy God and what God has done. Not only is uh, uh, evil a product of man, but it's served by man's tongue. Uh, David goes to, this, this is really the, 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 uh, the place where evil in his heart rolls out as he, 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 he lets Saul know that no, David has been here and Abimelech did help him. And boy... The unwritten idea is you need to do something to Abimelech, Saul, because he's a traitor. It's the tongue. And we're reminded from the words of no one less than Jesus himself that it's out of the abundance of the heart man speaks. We remember James's reflection on this little member in our body that is set aflame by hell itself. It's so wicked. It's in the very tongue of man that this wickedness is expressed. It's the tongue of man that serves the evil that's found in his heart. We find in verses 3 through 4 that it's not just a mere function of tongue, but it's something that resides in his very affections. Uh, you love all words that confuse and devour, O deceitful tongue. In other words, the natural disposition of the human heart that Jeremiah tells us is evil and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Its disposition is not a desiring of truth. It's a disposition that's desiring to confuse matters so that my own self-interests can come to fruition. So all it can give is fake news. Can I just put it that way? <laughs> That's true of the horrifically evil realities in this world, but is indicative of the heart of man. The heart of man. 
So it resides in his affections. David exposes the true source of evil. The question from David's lips is not, how can a loving God allow such evil? But rather, how can a man created in God's image perpetrate such acts of evil? David exposes the reality that man is not fundamentally good. His tongue and affections betray a corruption of nature. Mankind sins because he's a sinner. He has a problem. Not only does David expose the source of evil, but he delineates in no uncertain terms that God punishes evil, and he will punish it. So the question of vindication. If man is the source of evil acts in this world, the question is, where then does vindication come? Is it ours as God's people to, to be about the task of revenge and vindication? I mean, David was king in Israel, or he would soon be king in Israel. David was moderated by the covenant that he operated under. He knew that Saul was God's anointed. That, that Jonathan, the, these men were men not to be killed, not to be tinkered with, not to be uh, uh, dealt with. God would deal with them in his time and in his way. And he would vindicate his name. We know that when God sets out to deal with evil, verse number 5, but God will break you down, and he will do it forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. I remember, you know, I had a, I had a big brother, and I was thankful for my big brother. Uh, there was a, a gentleman that we, we had, uh, he, he had, I don't know, do you remember the, the Winfield Farm? on uh, Lakeshore Boulevard. It's where they, I think Phil Ruska and some folks live back in there now. Well, that used to all be corn. And there was one summer when it was my, me, my brother, and my sister's job to weed that whole cornfield. <laughs> and uh, uh, Mr. Winfield was an interesting guy. Um, and uh, he, he wouldn't pay us. And my brother was just as stubborn as Mr. Winfield, and, and I remember driving into his driveway with his truck. I probably have told this story a million times because it made such an impression on me, but I, of course, dive under the dashboard because I don't want any part of this. And my brother goes and sits on the hood of the truck, and he's not going to leave, and therefore Mr. Winfield's not going to be able to go anywhere because my brother's blocking the driveway, and he sits on the hood of the truck, and he says, Mr. Winfield, I'm not leaving until you pay us. Mr. Winfield proceeds to go into the house, comes out with a shotgun in his hand. <laughs> and he starts flailing his shotgun. And my brother sat there and would not leave. Can I just say that little brothers are glad for big brothers? <laughs> and we got paid. <laughs> now we did. It was successful. This is, this is essentially the big brother saying, I can handle this, church. I can handle this, David. You just go ahead and get under the dashboard where you belong. 
And, and when it comes time to vindicate, I'm going to vindicate with breathtaking ability. And oh, by the way, I've already demonstrated that. I've demonstrated that at the flood. I'm so good at judging that I can save out eight people from all the world. I'm that good at it. Or when he judges the sons of Korah and the earth splits up and everybody with the last name of Korah drops in and nobody with the last name of Korah or everybody without the last name of Korah stays out and the earth closes back up again. He is incredible when it comes to getting the right guy. Amen. And we don't have to worry about it. So you kind of need omniscience and omnipotence to be able to tinker in the arena of revenge. So if you're somebody who tends to love to go into that arena, don't do that if you're a believer. That's God's place. You ain't got what it takes. So just be a lover, be a learner, be a worshiper, and King Jesus will come and vindicate one day. Be responsible citizens, be the light, be the salt, be all of those things. Fulfill your responsibilities at work. Some of you do have management responsibilities and you do have to execute some justice on occasion. But try to keep all the vitriol out of it. All the, you know, just, just do the job. Jesus will come and, and fix things. In this case, God. Um, God's judgment is final. It's forever. It can, it's a very sudden thing. Uh, it's uprooted from the land of the living. And here we have this musical pause from what I understand. And this is sort of one of those uh, vocal pauses for effect. Uh, it's going to be rapid. Uh, um, so two things are important here. Number one, the evil of any man has a fatal limitation. You know what that fatal limitation is? It exists only while he or she is alive. As long as it's going to last. And from a biblical perspective, how long is that? It's about as long as steam coming out of the pot and tea. See the steam? And then what does it do? It goes away. Now, for you and I, it feels like it can be a lot longer than that. I understand that. But from God's perspective... The fatal flaw in an evil man's agenda is he's only, it's only going to occur while he's living. And that's not very long. And the second thing we want to remember is there are no second chances in the afterlife. And this is very profound. And, and at some level, it produces uh, a, a, a sobriety here. Verse number five. But God will break you down forever. The process of breaking the evil man down never has any reprieve. It will last forever. In the afterlife, the afterlife is not passive for God. God is actively breaking down the evil and the wicked who have descended into the grave. He is actively doing that. He is forever breaking them down. The reality is, even evil men are created in the image of God. And they'll exist forever. So God is committed to forever breaking that down. God's punishment on evil is instructive. It should be instructive for us. We, we should all gasp a little bit. Uh, the righteous will see. They see 
the brevity of it. Those who live under the influences of evil may not necessarily see that, but all of God's people who come after do. How violently these evil men and evil agendas at times are extracted and one day certainly will be in fullest sense when King Jesus comes and rules and reigns. It's instructive for the righteous. They see and fear and it should be instructive for the evil. These things are directed at him. This is the vindication. Uh, we don't vindicate in the same way. We don't vindicate by laughing and cajoling and uh, we vindicate God's name in a different way. We offer the gospel in prayer that God and, and, and in pity that God would save and vindicate his name. But, but the goal is that evil would learn. And God's punishment on evil is just. Uh, we see in verse 7 that the evil, uh, behold... Take a long, lingering look. The man who would not make God his refuge. You see, this is not a, a function of, of lacking some data or of being sincere, but just sincerely wrong. No, this is somebody who would not make God his refuge. He knows all there is to know of God, and he sets himself in rebellion against God's authority. He will not. God is just. We see that instead of worshiping God, evil disembowels the worship of God. Here, he, he trusts in the abundance of his riches, things that God never made to be the objects of our affections. This dominates the evil man. He worships things God never intended for him to worship. And he's happy about that. His evil desires are well-developed and intentional. So God will punish evil. David rightly exposes the source of evil. And finally this morning, David exemplifies God's intention for the righteous in the face of evil. Verses 8 and 9. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. So the question we simply want to ask this morning is, who are the righteous? We want to be among that company. I want to be righteous. I hope you want to be righteous. The righteous are those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. As the church, we enjoy putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. David put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Alone, to the exclusion of all others. It is those who recognize that evil in the world is not God's doing, but it's man's doing, and at times it's been my doing. There's a solidarity, even in evil, among all of mankind. That they, in fact, have evil in their own heart that needs God's forgiveness. This is the settled disposition of those who look to the cross. 
It's at the cross where God poured out his wrath on Jesus for all the evil in the world and in people. The cross is the ultimate reality. It teaches a simple, clear lesson that although there is unbridled evil in the world and though there is evil in your heart and mine, God still loves us. And he sent his son, Jesus, to live an absolute, perfectly righteous life and to die a death paying for your sin, a death that is infinite and eternal in its ability to be efficacious to grant you forgiveness. The infinite merit. And those who joyfully take these truths, gather them up, and believe them and confess them to the God of heaven are those who begin to enjoy reprieve from the evil that's found in their hearts. And they can know and enjoy a growing disposition of moving from, clear, or moving from confusion to clarity, from being devoured and being devouring to being somebody who can actually be beneficial and encouraging another man or woman along the way. What great joy. This is the righteous. Righteousness is something that you have to get from another source. You don't have any. You just don't. And it's okay. Don't, you, know, you can take offense to that. But just know it's true of everybody in this room. I don't have it. I have to get it from another source. And that source is the beautiful, the glorious, the lovely, the fairer than 10,000, Jesus, Amen. who lived accruing all the righteousness you'll ever need and then went to the cross and paid your sin's debt. And I implore you to humble yourself this morning. Humble yourself this morning and receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And once you have put your trust and faith in Jesus, how can you know? How can you know for sure that God knows you as righteous, right? I mean, it's all well and good to, to, to desire this righteousness, but how can we know for sure? Well, let's look at what David looked at for assurance. First thing he did is he loved God's house. We know in Psalm 119, he... he, he Songs, uh, sang songs about loving God's house, loving God's law. Anything that came from the mind and heart of God, David just loved. He loved it. Are you somebody who loves what comes from the mind and heart of God? If you are, be assured that you're righteous in Christ alone. He, he trusted in the, God's loving kindness all day long. So even as his own heart would and his own guilty conscience would assault him and make him feel guilty and he would sin and he would transgress what God's desires were, he knew one truth that God's loving kindness endures all day long. It's a settled disposition in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We put a quiet, a stop to our conscience. Conscience, yes, is the highest of human courts, but it can be a stinker. And it can literally wring you out. But Jesus says, don't let it do that. 
I will tell your conscience. It's true, we sin, but Jesus says, 1 John 1, 9, if we what? Confess our sin, he's what? This is a fellowship. But there's also another passage in James that says, if you want healed, remember the goal isn't just mere forgiveness. The goal is pressing on, abounding in love toward excellence. It teaches us that we need to confess our faults one to another, not for forgiveness like our Catholic friends do. We don't do that, but we confess our faults one to another so that we can what? Be. We can discover being healed. We can enjoy excellence. That's what the church is all about. We have gifted people in here. We're disciple makers. We need each other to be healed. Go find an older saint who's been through these things, and they'll help you. That's what it's all about. And you just may enjoy a little excellence in this life if you get a little help. (laughs) Figuring it out. That's what they're here for. Titus 2, older men, younger men, older women, younger women. That's what it's all about. The church, 1 Corinthians 12, profound. Why does it exist? So that these body parts, so that we can have the same care for one another, and so that we're not divided. That's it. That's why you are here. That's your gift. That's why God's given you a gift, I should say. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. There's the mechanics. So if you trust in God's loving kindness like that, You're righteous. (laughs) You're righteous. And you're going to have to argue against your own conscience. And you're going to actually have to humble yourself and go find an older Christian and say, hey, I need help with something. That's what it means. That's somebody who trusts in loving kindness. What did it mean for David? What would David not do? Who would he not kill? I would kill Saul all day long. Anybody that's throwing javelins at me, that's chasing me across the backside of the desert, that are forcing me to live in caves, that I have to go to Russia or Philistines and be like an idiot, drooling and acting like a fool, I would kill that guy. David was not allowed because he trusted in the loving kindness of God and it endured all day long. He knew he could not touch God's anointed. He wasn't allowed. So see, we have this parallel that, analogously, to the church. Go get, find some believer. Humble your, it's okay. We're all in the same boat. We all got issues. We all got a long way to go in loving Jesus. But see, loving kindness all day long settled David's decision-making apparatus that same truth needs to settle our our decision-making apparatus. And a big flow into that is conscience often. And and it's good and it's a blessing, but sometimes it needs to just a period and a stop. And uh, judgment's been rendered at the beginning of spiritual life and condemnation has been dealt with. So we have the rest of spiritual life to enjoy that. He was thankful for God's sovereignty and he, and I love this, uh, this is important for us. What does he say in 9b? And I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. So this is waiting on the character of God. I'm going to wait on your character, God, because I know your character is what? It's good. You're no knucklehead. You know that vindication is needed here. You know that I haven't gotten what is fair. You know all. You got this, God. You are good. And I'm just going to wait patiently. 
And oh, by the way, who else has had to do this? All of the godly people who have ever lived and who are living right now. You're going to have to patiently wait for evil to be once and finally dealt with. With a profound exclamation point when Jesus does it. And he'll hurl sin and death into the lake of fire that never goes out and its influence will be reduced to nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, it gets tingles just saying it. You guys should be up here being able to do this. This is nice. <laughs> so God is not the chargeable cause and author of evil in this world. Men are. You and I are, to some degree. God in his loving kindness is patient, willing that none should perish, but that all should come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are times, however, when God does punish evil, and he has in the history of man, but he will comprehensively do so one day. The punctuated times he judges evil in our lifetime or in, in history that we can read about and recall are to serve as warnings to evil men to forsake their evil and turn to Jesus. For the righteous, evil serves as a time to teach us to patiently wait, just like all the other godly ones on God's green earth patiently wait on God's good character and continue the mission. Make disciples, seeking uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. Lord, we're so instructed by these these psalms, and uh, we thank you for them, and I pray that we would take comfort. Lord Jesus, uh, it's hard. Uh, uh, we, it's hard not only because we see evil in this world, but Lord, what's so disconcerting at times is we see it in our own hearts still. And Lord, we, we just are so sick and tired of that. Uh, we thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb. We thank you that the chain of that evilness and even the guilt uh, has been broken. We don't live under the auspices of that, but we confess that it is sorrowful at times. We, we wish we could do better, Lord Jesus, for your name's sake. But we thank you that you've got it all. You're working in us. You're conforming us, and we're so thankful. We love you, Jesus. You're everything to us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.